0: Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited. So you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you'd like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash from us films, or just search from us F R U M E S S. And don't forget to like share and subscribe audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening jeff from us how are we doing tonight Woo, we got hurricane central up in this piece actually that's not exactly true we just missed the hurricane but if you are stuck in hurricane henry i hope that you are warm and dry and safe Uh, we did get some flooding though which was not nice right behind me i had Lots of humidifiers just going, going, going nonstop, which is not fun. Very stressful when you have all your all your stuff downstairs, right? Just this mic a little bit. So the other night, we did a whole thing on alien versus aliens, and I really enjoyed it. I like to talk about things that I enjoy. I'm not going to talk about stuff I don't enjoy. And I found another article that talked about the character of Ash the robot. Love Ash. Big fan of Ash. And I wanted to read that article as well, but I figured, you know what, let's let's branch that off into another, its own episode, because it was going to go on and on and on. And that episode was about aliens versus aliens. So check that out. That's on the channel somewhere. Uh, now we're going to talk about, cause so I guess they're doing a new alien movie, right? There's a new alien movie coming out. Uh, at some point, the last one they did, what was it? Covenant alien covenant directed by Ridley Scott. It was supposed to be Prometheus too. And cause you know, Ridley Scott is a guy who likes to do stuff that he wants to do. You know, he didn't want to make an alien movie. So he made Prometheus instead, uh, which was also kind of a spinning, it's spinning wheels, confusing unnecessary in many ways. I feel like Prometheus should have just been its own thing. But alas, it was not. It was very confusing. only saw it once in the theaters. I was very confused a lot of the time. Uh, And then he did a follow-up, but instead of calling it Prometheus 2, he called it Alien Covenant. Why? Because he was caving into pressures from the studios and whatnot, trying to to chase the puck instead of going where the puck might be. You know? anticipating where the puck might be. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Alien, Covenant, whew, not good. But, of course, they're doing another one. They were going to use ne- the, that Neil guy who did District 9, and they were going to circumvent some sequels, which I think, I hate it when they circumvent sequels. You know, then you're you're splitting off into different – look what happened to the Halloween franchise. I mean, it just ruins everything. It's just, you know, the, stay the course, man. Stay the course of what is – Unless it's a, a time travel situation like um, like the Terminator franchise. Although Terminator should really just be Terminator 1 and 2 and call it a day. But if you're not, if you're going to continue to make sequels, then you can at least play with the time stream, right? And they did that a whole bunch and it was, some of it was valid, a little bit maybe. Or at least you could write off all the failed sequels as you know alternate timelines. But I digress. Um, they're going to do another Alien movie and there is one aspect. I found this article to be very interesting. I have not read it yet. Like all, like all the articles that we feature on this channel, I like to read them live and blind. So I don't know what I'm going to read. I have a general idea of what it is always sometimes I'll do a light skim, but I don't know what's actually being said. So I try to anticipate what it is before we actually jump in and, and and read the thing. And, um, The title of this one. This is from Screen Rant, and it's by uh, Cathal Gunning, and it's called "Alien Seven Should Revisit the Original Villains' Cut Motivation." So already I'm captivated because I don't know what that is. I don't know a lot about Ash, but I find Ash to be the most fascinating character in Alien. When we were talking last time about Alien and Aliens, we were Talking about the, the brilliance, or I was reveling in the brilliance of showing, uh, uh having this reveal where it turns out that one of the that that the antagonist, one of the antagonists that's driving all this madness to occur is not even human. He's in he's a he's an android. And um he's working for the corporation who wants to infect the crew and sees them as expendable. So it's a massive conspiracy that's uncovered, and it's great. It's really, really great, and it sort of fizzles. It not, not fizzles out. Yeah, I guess it kind of fizzles out. You know, literally, he literally fizzles out in a pool of 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 uh jism, no less. You know, all the all the there's a lot of you know sexual you know symbolism going on in that alien film, and Ash is definitely a part of that. As he's covered, literally covered in jism by the end he literally blows his wad at the uh, at the end of his arc i should say which is more in the middle of the film and it's great and you know he's like beating ripley with nudie magazines it's like so crazy um but that's it that's all we get of ash i know that you know some of the expanded literature kind of like talks about in their novels i see here on wikipedia that i opened up some novel stuff so his he kind of has a place in the expanded universe, but you know the the beauty of in the same way that you can kind of erase bad sequels with time travel, like you know with the Terminator thing, you can bring back villains if they're androids. That's cool. That's like a really great sci-fi get out of jail free card. Oh, we killed the villain, but he's a, he's an android, so we can always bring him back. His his system memory is always backed up somewhere. They he just like Brainiac, he downloaded a copy of himself somewhere and always returns back to uh, to get his revenge and whatnot. And so you know you could easily bring back Ash. You could de-age Ian Holm. You know uh, the, the the tech is there. You know what's up? We have Walter White saying hello from New Zealand. Nice to see you, Walter. Thank you for joining us. We're talking about Ash from the Alien film, played by Ian Holm. Let's let's pop open this article, shall we? Let's do it. Let's see what they say. I don't know what the the original villain's cut motivation is, but I did find something that I found was to be very interesting on the Wikipedia for, for Ash. Here, let's first let's look at this article. Come on. Don't be slow. There we go. Loading up. Beautiful. There she is. Okay. So here we go. Alien 7 should revisit the original villain's cut motivation. What is that all about? Let's find out, shall we? Alien originally explained that the android Ash was aboard the Nostromo to keep the Xenomorphs safe for the Weyland-Yatani Corporation. A clever idea that any upcoming Alien franchise installment should revisit. Released in 1979, Alien was a huge hit with audiences and critics alike. An ingenious haunted house in space horror stories. There it is. I guess it's more popular than I thought. It, it didn't used. To be, you never used to hear that, the haunted, uh, the haunted house thing. That's, that's new. That seems to be a hot take now. But that, that wasn't always the case. Um, an ingenious haunted house in space horror story Alien was a fusion of sci-fi and scares that led to director Ridley Scott being trusted with the ambitious proto cyberpunk outing Blade Runner however while Alien's lean intense horror core was pivotal to the movie's success there was more to the terrifying space slasher than scares As Alien 3's return to pure horror proved, the franchise's first film also needed an engaging backstory to succeed. And Scott's original movie provided one via the Wayland yatuni am I saying that right, Yatuni, yutani Corporation. Although the nefarious company's dirty deeds are not properly exposed until the movie's first sequel, 1986's action heavier James Cameron outing *Aliens*. The original *Alien* did make it clear that the corporation had had a part to play in the presence of the titular killer aboard the *Nostromo*. Now, I'm gonna, I am gonna deviate real quick. I'm gonna go to the Wikipedia. You're not gonna be able to see it, but I'm gonna, I'm just gonna pop over to the Wikipedia for a second. The reason why I want to is because they, I love the way that they sort of. They outline some of the, the analysis of what's going on with this character, Ash, you know, in, in, in relation to the corporation and the idea of how in the name of capitalism, we talked about this with the last episode that we did, go check it out, Alien versus Aliens, how how corporate greed or, or perfect capitalism does not take human welfare into account in the name of chasing profit profit. First, and everything else is secondary and is expendable as long as it doesn't harm profit. So profit does has no empathy for the human cost involved. And Ash, it, it's so it's so like like apropos that Ash should be an android because he has he literally has no humanity. He's not human in his in his uh, tasks, in his mission, which is to make sure the crew get infected and make sure that the creature gets back to the corporation. As it says here in the Wikipedia, loyalty to the corporation. Ash is, in the words of her, her shelled, the perf, I don't know what, I don't know what that means. What per shelled? Is this a person? Is this a thing? You know, you know, me and my, wonderful ability to mispronounce things and not understand what they are. Let's look it up because that's what we do. We we look up things on the internet. No results. Okay. So I guess that's a person, but in any case, they're saying that that Ash is the perfect corporation man. He reflects the corporation's views and it's, and it's functionary and is it's functionary. Sorry. And is it's functionary. He is an inhumane science officer who lacks human values an example of the mad scientist or mad doctor stereotype of fiction. However, from the character's own viewpoint, according to Mary Farr, he is neither. He is aware that he is corporation property and comfortable with his programming, confident and purposeful. He cares neither for the human crew of the Nostromo nor for the humans of the corporation, who Farr notes would have received a very unpleasant surprise had Ash been successful in transporting the alien back to Earth. His interest is in collating the collection of knowledge. When Ripley and the other crew crewmen power up his head in order to question him about how to kill the alien, he expresses admiration for it. It is, he says, a perfect organism whose structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. He admires the creature's purity as a survivor, unclouded by conscious conscience, remorse, or delusions delusions of morality. Farr believes that here Ash is, in fact, is describing his ideal self. So, some really interesting, deep analysis about that. And then up here, it says about revelation. Thompson observes that in hindsight, it is clear that Ash is, in fact, beginning a scientific analysis of the alien for the corporation in these scenes to which Kane's welfare is largely irrelevant. Ash is acting as the midwife for the organism within Kane. He's anxious when monitoring the activity of the rescue party, in contrast to his lack of apparent emotion at other times. And violates protocol, you know, letting, not keeping the quarantine, which Ripley is stressing we need to keep. And, and, you know, some people are for it and some people are against it in the crew. And ultimately it's Ash who who disregards the protocol altogether in order to ensure that Kane, with the alien inside of him, is brought aboard the Nostromo. So, you know, and it is, you know, that's the beauty of, of movies. Sometimes you, you get, when you have a movie that has like a big reveal or like a big surprise twist, you get to to watch it twice in awe. You watch it the first time blind, not knowing what's going to happen. And you're in awe when you are surprised by whatever the reveal is. And then there's the second time that you watch a film and that is knowing what's going to happen. But now you get to watch the film through a completely different set of eyes and you pick up on you know, little subtleties that weren't there before, you know, like you pick up on things, you see what is intended, and you definitely can do that with the movie Alien, you know? Um, let's go back to reading this part right here. Uh, however... Alien originally pitted its human crew members against their robotic interloper Ash in a tense... Okay, so this is interesting. I did not know this. However, er... Alien originally pitted its human crew members against their robotic interloper Ash in a tense face-off akin to John Carpenter's later sci-fi horror classic, The Thing. And the ensuing deleted scene was a tense bit of paranoia-inducing back and forth that the series should revisit in the original early drafts of alien android ash had a bigger role and one scene that was filmed for the movie but later deleted according to fan site xenopedia reveals that he was placed aboard the nostromo to ensure that the Whalen Utani corporation didn't miss out on any key products because the crew refused to retrieve them as Ash isn't revealed to be an android until later in the movie, which is such a great twist. The original alien's missing scene never answered the question of whether he would have stepped in to stop the crew if they had succeeded in collectively removing the xenomorph from the ship. Interesting. He would have done that, 100%. It's a potentially interesting angle that the Alien series still hasn't explored despite Prometheus and Alien Covenant both featuring android characters far more prominently. So that's interesting. So would he have stepped in to stop the crew if they had succeeded in collectively removing the Xenomorph from the ship? And I think, like, he totally would have. He would have revealed, like, it, him being an android is something he probably didn't want any of them to know unless they really needed to, and obviously Haywire's goes crazy. Um, but that's when he would have revealed his cards and let, you know, everybody know what the real deal was. Aliens cast distrust the Aliens cast distrust Ash believably, believably. The cast of the original Alien is a mostly civil bunch, but from early on in the movie, it is clear that none of them fully trust Ash. This is evidenced later in the above-mentioned deleted scene where Ash suggests that the remaining crew members bring him back online to defeat the Beast. And they understandably opt to take another option as none of them trust the android to act in their best interest. Rightfully so it is a believable choice with the crew members banding together and opting to trust each other rather than a machine. I mean, cause look at, and look at what mother, how mother sent them to slaughter as well. Machines cannot be trusted, which further, you know, in, you know, sort of implies, you know, uh, sorry, not implies, uh, informs. That's what I meant to say, which further informs the story, the story's continuation in aliens when Ripley, is super sketched out by Bid Show. Um, they're opting to trust each other rather than a machine, and one that raises questions about why the characters of later alien prequels, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, is so trusting in comparison because the script is not written as well prometheus alien covenants cast trust david too much at the same time in those stories i don't think they have any reason not to trust him you know what i mean i don't know whether it is i i'll be honest it's been i i saw once i saw each film once in the theater so it's been a while whether it is Prometheus's Shaw repeatedly buying into David's tricks and eventually dying between movies as a result, or the brutally bleak ending of Alien Covenant, seeing its heroine doom the survivors by trusting Walter, who is actually David, with their lives. I, yeah, there's such a convoluted, confusing sort of situation. The cast of the Alien prequels seem to trust androids as a rule. And not realize that they value the corporation's interest over their crews. The reason for this is unclear, but at, but as the prequels are set significantly earlier in the series timeline than the original Alien, it could be argued. I think like fifty or sixty or seventy years or something. It could be argued. But the crew doesn't realize that androids can be malicious actors yet, whereas the cast of Alien are savvier to the likes of Ash and know that robots allegiance point. You know, you'd imagine with Ridley Scott also doing Blade Runner, that Blade Runner shares a universe with the Alien franchise. And I, I believe there was some evidence that pointed that towards that being true. And then it turned out it was, it's not true at all. It's, they're completely separate that you would imagine that they should be or would be or could be uh, especially when you think about the androids in the renegade the renegade replicants in blade runner i don't know it makes sense to me at least there's another reason that the original aliens crew may trust ash so much less than the cast of the prequels trusted david and that is their relationship with wayland utani corporation itself In Prometheus, and to a much lesser extent, Alien Covenant, many of the ship's crew members are faithful to the vision of the company and truly believe in its benevolence. While in the original Alien, many of the cast are simply working stiffs who have no loyalty to their employer and don't trust the corporation for their second. There's all that talk. We talked about this about Harry Dean Stanton and what's his face talking about, you know, getting a bonus and shares and this and that. Um, this idea is revisited in the sequel, wherein the Marines realize Weyland-Yutani Yuta- are willing to sacrifice even their lives to secure access to the xenomorph, and Ripley delivers an iconic line claiming that the company is even more lethally bloodthirsty than the movie's titular, titular threats, where Prometheus depicts the corporation via the fatally arrogant but Ultimately, well-intentioned Peter Wayland, aliens features Paul Reiser's slimy—that's the perfect way to describe him—is a slime ball, Slimy company man Carter Burke, as its rep- as its representative of Wayland Utani. I hate saying that word because I feel like I butcher it all the time. Meaning, no sane character would trust the company's android employees when whenever their human employees are. Duplicitous, bad faith actors. Um, the Alien franchise should pit androids against humans. I mean, in in that in in with with that title, with that headline right there. I mean, they they already did. They did it in Alien. They should just keep doing it. You know, um, I mean, because then you're moving away from the the aliens. You have to have. Both, both elements have to be in the mix. While the series has not yet taken advantage of this possibility, of course it did. It did it in the first film with Ash. The Alien movies should pit the android employees of Wayland Yutani, against their human counterparts in a plot that sees the crew members attempt to dispose of a xenomorph and the androids step in to stop them. In that way, they have not. And that would be really cool. And it's a shame that they didn't do it in the original Alien to the extent that they that they could have. For one thing, any character can turn out to be an android in the alien movies. As a matter of fact, here's a missed opportunity for the original alien film. All right, ready? We're going to play armchair screenwriter, okay? 40 years later, 40 41 years later, we're rewriting the end of of alien. So, they bring Ash back online. To find out how to kill the thing, Ash is admiring it for its perfection, and says, "You can't. It's impossible. You can't kill it. It's indestructible." And so they they disconnect Ash again. But before they disconnect Ash, you know, because you'd imagine it is the future, even though it's the future from forty two years ago, Ash is able to download through the cord that they connect to his neck or whatever to turn him back on. Well, maybe he's connected to the actual ship, and he downloads his consciousness. Into the ship's mother mother computer, and puts himself on the escape pod that Ripley finds herself on. Right, just follow me with this. So he doesn't have a body anymore, but his consciousness still exists. Then everything happens the way that it happens. Right, all the way up into the end. Ripley blows up the Nostromo, um, and you know, as her, her she has a stowaway, which which is the alien who's hiding in the pipes. She puts on the spacesuit, right? She puts on the spacesuit to defeat the alien and then boom, just like this article that we're reading about, you know, using this plot point suggests, all of a sudden, HAL 9000 style, Ash comes back, but as a disembodied voice inside of the ship saying, Ripley, I can't allow you to do that. They have a whole struggle, a whole fight. So not only is she trying to get The xenomorph off of the escape shuttle pod or whatever, doing her whole thing with her grappling hook projectile and yada yada, and blowing it out the airlock and whatnot. But she has to contend with Ash, who's open. They're opening and closing the door. She slams the button down. He brings the the door back up. Or, no, sorry. She she brings the door up and he slams the door back down. Um, And she has to root around. She's ripping out wires, trying. And he's lying to her. He's saying if you rip out this wire, you're going to destroy the life support, um, you know, uh, stasis, the the hibernation, the hibernation pod that will, you know, uh, preserve you as you as you float endlessly in space. You will destroy it if you rip those wires out. And she's pretty sure Ripley's pretty sure that if she pulls on those wires, she's going to gain manual control of the ship and delete ash from the ship's memory banks and it's like this tense back and forth while she's trying to keep the alien at bay maybe she's like she's like she dives into the guts of the of the ship and she's like tangled up in the cords looking for the right wire and the alien can't quite reach her maybe it's like clawing at her feet and it's so close but not quite and it's shooting its secondary jaws into the the piping and it's just narrowly missing ripley as she's trying to 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 figure out which wire is gonna do the job that she wants in vanquishing Ash from the ship, and she calls Ash on his bluff, or maybe Ash says something that's in, that 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 that's like a callback to earlier in the script that lets Ripley know that Ash is full of crap. She yanks the wire, and Ash does a full like in the. Like in 2001 Space Odyssey, he does the whole, you know, shut down sort of thing. She blows the alien out of the space lock, end of the movie. Or let's say that alien is a standalone one-shot deal. There are no sequels. There's no continuation. And how about if Ash wins? He wins. He manages to trick Ripley into doing something, and she gets pushed out of the airlock in her spacesuit and floats in the deep cold of space where no one can hear you scream. Right. And the alien, much like the original ending of Star Beast, written by Daniel Bannon, sits down, straps in, starts pushing buttons, maybe like, and, and starts talking with Ripley's voice, which is the original ending of that script, or maybe just like gets into the stasis pod. and. Ash is talking to it and sort of like being very like motherly towards it. And the alien is on its way to earth to cause untold havoc. The end, Uh, man, I think both of those, both of those uh, sort of rewrites would really be cool little, you know, touches, you know, in the same way that George Romero revisited the night of living dead script. And in some ways improved on it, you know, with his, you know at least with certain characters you know barbara turning barbara into a badass which that would be interesting to see i think that would have been that would have been pretty cool um so let's let's see here uh where where do we where do we leave off here in our our article oh yes about about that the series has not taken advantage of this possibility yet it's so it's inevitable that they're going to make another alien film perhaps it will have Simone weaver in it Last time we saw Ripley, she was back on Earth for the first time in 200 years. For one thing, any character can turn out to be the android in the Alien movies, as proven by Ash. Providing this plot with a Thing-style sense of pervading paranoia, I love that. That, you know, in this new, in this new film, one of them is the, is the android and is sabotaging everything to help the xenomorph. Is enabling the Xenomorph, and they have to figure out which one it is. And that could create all sorts of mind games. It's a great idea. Furthermore, the Alien series needs a secondary antagonist to keep the Xenomorph feeling fresh. Totally agree. It's the same idea as any zombie film. Zombies are the catalyst, but the true antagonists are always evil humans. People. People are always other people's worst enemy. And the zombies are just there to be the catalyst for humans to pit themselves against other humans, right? And why not do that with this? The xenomorphs are kind of the background noise, and the real conflict should be between, you know, uh, other antagonists. Android versus human. Um, An issue... The second sequel famously struggled with is Alien 3's lone xenomorph had to kill off 17 different characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's very true. So, saying Alien 3 uh, struggled with keeping the xenomorph fresh because Alien 3's lone xenomorph had to kill off 17 characters without another going support. And I mean, I don't know. I think Alien 3 works, it does, it does an okay job. There definitely are missed opportunities for secondary, for secondary antagonists in, in Alien 3. But Alien 3 does, does its own thing well. Pitting androids against the humans would be a perfect paranoia-inducing plot that could create tension before the titular beast even arrives and could make the crew's inability to escape the monsters all the tenser afterward. The first alien had an easy time making Ripley's plight palpably scary, as viewers had never seen a Xenomorph before, while the first sequel needed only to increase the number of monsters to multiply their threat level. Now, introduce a secondary antagonist in the form of an emotionless android, And you could have the next Alien sequel uniquely scary, as it would pit the heroes against the two enemies at once. Already, the Alien series has missed out on one android-human-xenomorph face-off by cutting the horrific fate of Prometheus' Shaw at the hands of David. But the franchise can still renew interest in the series by revisiting this plot point in the next installment. I feel like this was redundantly said about a hundred times. Um, why, and then here's another one. Why Alien 7 should bring back Resurrection's hated hybrid villain? Let's see what that says. Uh, Alien Reaction's newborn was a disappointment, but that doesn't mean that the next Alien movie couldn't offer another human xenomorph hybrid. Yeah, I like the newborn. I thought that was a fun, fun little twist. It was really done as kind of like a a stunt gag more than a plot point because it just appears at the very end but you know Mm. um what do you guys think you think we should bring back an android you think ash should come back i mean you could definitely bring ash back uh, the way that we said you could bring ash back i'd like to hear your thoughts uh if you enjoy this content let me know what we should talk about next Make sure to like this video, leave a comment, subscribe, um, join the Patreon. It's cheaper than joining the the membership that I have here on YouTube, but check that out too. If you want to join, you can join that as well. It's down below, and um, we'll play you out the way we always play you out. If I can find the little thingy, my Bob, of course it can't. There we go, is that intros and outros? There she is, it's just being all glitchy here. Come on. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full time. I want this to be my full time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? I don't know. But I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full time So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just wanna thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates, subscribes. That's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.